0: and welcome to Slam the Gavel. I am honored and grateful to have as my guest, James Gibson, who is falsely accused with a conviction of murder and sentenced to a life without parole. James Gibson spent 29 years of torture in a prison system that is designed to destroy not only life, but your mind and soul as well. James was exonerated in 2019 and is now sharing his story with us because what happened to James can happen to any one of us. And I'm so honored to have you on Slam the Gavel, James. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: Well, first of all, I would like to wish everybody in the audience a happy, safe new year. And I'm wishing everybody uh, um, use precaution and, and wear their mask when they're out there. Um, I'm doing well now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm finally um, um, trying to settle in and, and, and get uh, adjusted to the technology and societies today. But I would like to put on the record um, um, something. You know, I, I've, I've been exonerated. I've also been issued a certificate of innocence. And so I'm the first case in the country in 300 years where African-American have ever been ruled, tortured, collaborated from the highest court in the state. My, 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 my case controls the jurisdiction and in the subject matter. But this case is not only about torture. Because you can go, to, you can be convicted of and charged with torture, but torture don't get you out of prison because right is right and wrong is wrong. My case is not only about torture, it's about malicious prosecution, false imprisonment, the wrong for conviction, the wrong guy. They knew when I was arrested in 1989 that, I, that it wasn't me. You know what I'm saying? And my case is coming out. It will be airing on ESPN um um Undisputed Show, um, World News Tonight. My story will be dropping in, in March. But... Uh, this case is more than just torture. Torture is what um, the city of Chicago has made reprimand and admitted to torture. And, and they're teaching the case a part of the Corinthian here in Illinois. It's a part of the subject matter in jurisdiction, Jew, But torture is just what um, was on the forefront because they never ruled that a citizen of the United States has been tortured, collaborating, proven, until now.
0: When you were you know, reported uh, of, this, of this crime, which was in 1989, and then you were convicted in 1991. What, what was going through your mind?
1: Well, um, uh, for legal reasons, I can't go into a bunch of the details because I'm litigating against the state here, but I, can, I will share this with the public. Um, I was arrested. Falsely arrested in 1989 and I was held the custody for 98 hours and then I was released. What did they release an African-American in custody after confessing to alleged double murder in America? Well, they did that to me. They released me. And then when they released me, I uh, filed a complaint to the S- Office of Professional Standards here in Chicago. And when the complaint was registered, they came back and rearrested me and they never processed me. So they put me in, in, in the system without a conviction or even being uh, taken into the custody. See, this case, is, this case is so big and it's so strange to people. People are not going to really believe it until they see it or read the facts. You know what I'm saying? Whether you go into the prison system in America and you're not convicted or charged with a crime for 30 years. So that's another part of my litigation that I'm going through now. But when I first went into the system, um, um, I didn't know that um, um, I was making a record. Every time I went in front of the judge, I was asking questions, I was, you know, my lawyer didn't file this, I need to file that, they said this, I need, you know what I'm saying? And, and um, um, but what I did know is that I had graduated out of high school and went to college and that I had passed government. I don't know if government's a part of the Corinthium these days for the younger generation, but when I was in high school, you had to pass the government in order to get a certificate of graduating out of high school. And in the government, it tells you and it teaches you about the amendment and your constitutional rights as a citizen of the United as a citizen of the United States. And so, by me knowing that I am a citizen of these great United States, because I believe that this is the greatest country on earth, that I've read my Constitution, that I knew that I had laws that, that was guaranteed to me upon the due process of law and equal protection of law. So that was one thing I had advantage on knowing that I had a constitutional right in violation. And, and, and knowing that uh, um, um, I'm from the greatest country on earth that I will be able to petition myself in the courtroom. With the court situation, as the record clearly showed, I filed 33 appeals before I won my first three reversals. I got three reversals on the books controlling the country, Jewish the subject matter, but I filed 33 appeals before I was ever granted my first um, new trial and then to present my case. I filed the first case in the country where I didn't ask for any money, I asked for my rights to due process and equal protection of the law and won a class action uh, to guarantee me my day in court to prove my innocence when they knew they had the wrong guy. So how I was feeling back then, I was a confused young man, I really didn't know, I didn't have any sense of direction, I didn't have any help, but I knew the constitution and I had some people standing in the gap, which was my mother who passed away. There was a praying lady. And so they prayed me out. And so when I started praying, it led me out.
0: And that's a lot of faith in God, you know, even with your mother. And I'm so sorry, she passed while you were in prison.
1: Um, was she able to visit you? Well, let me, let me, let me first uh, um, go back into... Um, my faith in God okay. for those, for those who be listening. Um, God still does the things that he said that he can do in that Bible. I don't care what religions you fall up under or what creed. There is a God. I am a sitting testimony that there is a God. He entered into my cell and he spoke to me and he showed me and he told me what it was that was going to happen. And so I've been putting God first in everything. It would, if it had not been for God and his mercy and his grace and his salvation, I wouldn't be standing there. I stood at a cell door for 30 years and they couldn't break me. They offered me five deals and I turned them down. But my mother played a, a part in this um, tragedy from day one. You know, my mother, which was handicapped, she could not hear it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, for people that don't know or, or reading the story or going to read the story, hear about my mother. My mother was... Um, um, handicapped so she couldn't hear and she used to come and see me uh, every day I mean every week four times a month for 12 years up until the point her body couldn't take it no more and she passed but before she passed she told me that I was coming home but she told me the only way I was coming home is that I had to get all that mess out my heart you got to get all that anger out your heart you got to get all that blame out your heart you're going to have to do about 20 years because these people ain't going to play fair with you. But you got to put God first and you coming home. And so uh, she passed away 19 years ago. And uh, I had told her at that time, when I come home, I'm going to take you to the ocean. And I'm going to sing a song that kept me strong and stood by a do for 30 years. But she couldn't, she couldn't uh, be there. But I went to the ocean and I sung that song. And so my mother has always played a part even in death. You know, they found the original complaints because it's probably already in the, in the news reports. They found the original complaints in Louisville, Kentucky. My mother had died at that time. It had been 26 years. And they found the original complaints that was mailed to my mother's house and which was in a briefcase found in another state even after she died. So my mother, even at death, has played a part because love is more powerful than evil.
0: Yes. God was looking out for you through your
1: mother. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And she'd been standing in the gap and she prayed me out. Collaborating, proving. And that's, and that's another reason why I didn't take any deals. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why I didn't take any deals. Because once my mother passed, all deals was off the table. They offered me five deals. They offered me two alpha pleas for anybody that know what an alpha plea is. They offered me two alpha pleas, time considered served. They offered me $100,000 for reprimands. They offered me $5 million to withdraw my uh, uh, or arguments twice. And my last offer was from the special prosecutor, Milan, who I had removed. If you pull up newsreels about James Giffen, Google me, James Giffen. They asked me to withdraw my certificate of innocence and I, and I didn't. And I filed a motion to remove them. And the, the, acting, the, the state's attorney elected here in Illinois, Ken Fox, um, conceded and then challenged my certificate of innocence after that. And now I've been given all my rights back, rights to bear arms, rights to vote, rights to have a passport, driver's license, insurance, and the whole nine yards. That's amazing. Um, how
0: does a person go through an exoneration process?
1: Well, an exoneration process is different from a a certificate of innocence. Exoneration process is um, um, awarded to uh, the National Archives of America. My exoneration number is 2,438 at that time. It's probably 2,000, 3,000 now. So every year the country has a database, Homeland Security, the National Agency of Intelligence, FBI, and the National Exonerees. So what they do, they keep a tracking system of people that's exonerated across the 52 states and you go into what they call the archive of the national exonerees. Now, when you, you get a, a, an exoneration, when um, um, it's found that you have been wrongfully convicted, malicious prosecution, false imprisonment, right? You get exoneration. Now, but you have to go to another step after you can get the exoneration from the national Archives of the United States you have to go to that sit, that state where you was found um, um, Guilty at and, and petition the circuit court chief judge for a certificate of innocence After you get your exoneration then you have then then it has to be a trial another trial to determine Were you responsible for these charges or were you not? Were you were you not and if it's found that you were not responsible for these charges then the chief judge after the city have a time a chance to um, object to it. in my case, the city did not object to my certificate of innocence. Once I got exonerated and they, and the state's attorney dismissed the charges and threw out the charges against me, they didn't have no grounds to object so but they had to come in and present an issue the attorney general of the state and the state's attorney of the state and they, and neither one of the departments on the official side objected. Once the chief judge certified me innocent, then uh, uh, it's official, you know what I'm saying? I'd never had any criminal background in the first place. You know, I'd never been in prison or convicted of violent crimes or in and out of jail in the first place. So once I got my certificate of innocence, I was officially declared innocent. And, and, And that what they did to me, the 30 years, was wrong. And so I got a public apology from the state's attorney, the attorney general, the governor, and the city the city mayor How long did that process
0: take that sounds like that could take a long time just to well, get that you know,
1: certificate Well I'm going to tell you normally a process like that takes 4 to 6 years but um I've been I've been fighting with the state of Illinois for 30 years so when I came back on my first reversal for a new trial I had all my petitions already ready so when I got when I got bonded back from IDOC to DOC they gave me a $2,000 bond. I bonded myself out and I filed all my motions for a certificate of innocence to drop the charges and et cetera, et cetera. I filed everything. Soon I came back to the county jail, which would have took four to six years to do. And so once I filed my motion to remove the special prosecutors, you can read the news articles. It's all in the newspapers, everything I've done. I filed my motion for a certificate of innocence right away. And so I had to fight again with the special prosecutors to have them removed. So that took like six, seven, eight months. But then once the special prosecutor was removed, it took me like another four months. So I got my certificate of innocence in like 11 months. You know, wow. 11 months to a year from my release. I got my exoneration 30 days from my release. I was released, listen, this is so, this is so beautiful. I was released on April 11th, the weekend of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was released on the eve of my mother's birthday, April the 15th. And on April the, on April the, uh, 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 the 13th, I did my first press conference with Channel 7, ABC News, Stacey Baca. I had already filed my motions in court before I even went back to court. So that sped, sped up my process, like with, my, with, with the lawsuit against the city and the state. I filed all my stuff within 30 days, which it would've took you two to four years to file and two more years to fight it. I'm already past that stage. I done, I done won 30 counts of my 33 counts indictment against the city in, in less than eight months. That's because I've been doing my own work and my own filing, you know what I'm saying? And not depending on somebody to help me out. Just like I sell decals, you know what I'm saying? I, I, they wanted me to start a GoFundMe page. I didn't want to start a GoFundMe page. I didn't want to beg from the public. I wanted to create my own thing. I opened up my own company, a publishing company, a clothing company, a music company. But the virus got me shut down. So now I, I write books. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I sell decals to support myself. And so I didn't want nobody to help me because everybody that helped me in the past they let me down. Or they told me the wrong information. And they told me, if you want to have something from somebody, put it in a book. So I, I picked the book up. And I read it, so that's how I was able to um, beat all these time limits and all these years wasted. fighting for my certificate of innocence. Fight for my exoneration. Fight for my new trial. Fighting to be released on bond. Fighting to get my passport. Fighting to get my, 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 my permit to bear arms. Fighting to get my, my uh, voter's voter registration card. Fighting to get my driver's license. Because when they let me out, they didn't give me any. They didn't give me. They didn't have no. I didn't have no documents. I didn't have no paperwork. I had no social security card. You didn't you, you did pick me up on the streets and you didn't even know who I was because they, put, they had me for 30 years wrongfully convicted and then just put me out in the streets. I didn't know how to turn on the microwave. I didn't know how to turn on the TV. I didn't have no identification or nothing. So, you know what i saying? I had to do it on my own and I had to ask a lot of questions. And so with my motions, you know, that's what I do. I do legal work and since I've been home, I brought 10 people home on commutations this year in Illinois. Since I've been home, I've got 12 people juvenile sentences overturned. Since I've been home, I got 20 guys back in Cook County Jail on malicious prosecution, false imprisonment, perjury, obstruction of justice, extended term. That's what I do.
0: I'm glad you're doing that and helping people. It's, would you consider yourself, an, I guess, an advocate?
1: Well, I am an advocate. I'm standing right. in the gap. I'm standing in the gap for those who can't fight for themselves. And in April, when I go to the nation and announce that I'll be an um, um, alliance with the Northwestern um, Center for Wrong Conviction, I'm really going to be shaking them up. I visit guys across the country um, on the internet, on the visits. You know what I'm saying? I just wrote a letter to a guy down here in, in, in um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, New Jersey, California, New York, Texas. You know, that's what I do. I mean, it's just my passion. I, I write uh, briefs. I do Supreme Court petitions. I write Seventh Circuit. I do post convictions. I do two fourteen O ones. I do commutations. You know, said that's that's my passion. I've been doing law and filing petitions for thirty years. I'm not a lawyer. I'm thinking about being a lawyer. I'm a paralegal. I, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a lawyer, but right now, um, we, it's so much going on in, in the pandemic and courts and stuff. And you know, I'm just trying to you know survive and, and you know get my story out. And I, and, I, and I, so I, I fill my decals. And, I, and, it's, and I'm trying to, you know, get my story to the public because people never heard of this before. They never heard of the, the James Giffen story. You know what I'm saying? I'm not the only James Giffen. I'm not the first and I'm the last, but I'm the first case in the country where, the, where this country has acknowledged for the first time in 300 years what they did. See, they've been doing what they do all the time, but no court like the appellate court, the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, or the federal court has ever acknowledged. No city chief administrator, officer, or city official has ever acknowledged. And they have acknowledged. The first case in the country where they actually made reprimands to an African American, that's big. And And don't nobody know nothing about that. The first case in the country where they done gave uh, the torture survivors here in Illinois a memorial building. That's big, but don't nobody talk about it because they don't want nobody to know. They done made public apologies from the mayor's office own up to the state's attorney's office, own up to the attorney general. But nobody's talking about it because don't nobody know.
0: Well, I'm help, happy to help you get the word out about this. You really impressed me. I've seen your videos on YouTube. And I just can't imagine all this, what you've went through and the loss of your normal life, you know, when that's taken away and you are locked up.
1: Do you, did you ever feel despair in there? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Every day, every day. I felt it every day. Make no mistake about it. I've been in the pits of Bernard. I floated in toilet water in 120 degree weather. I've been in the tombs in Joliet. I've been in a cell door in Stateville for five years where they opened the door on me in the wintertime and left me there because I wouldn't take deals. I felt disparity every day. I, it was a song that I used to listen to. Never would have made it. No, I never, never would have made it without you. I would have lost it all. It was another song that kept me strong. And I got it out of Psalms 25, verse one through four. Unto the old Lord, do I lift up my soul? Unto the old Lord, do I lift up my soul? Oh, my God. I never would have made it without God. Listen what I tell you. I wasn't a gangbanger. I wasn't a drug user. I wasn't a drunk. I wasn't a criminal. I'd never been raped. I'd never been robbed. I'd never been stabbed, or extorted. And I've been in all of the max prisons in Illinois where the gangs controlled the whole state, but I never was harmed. So you tell me who it was. I was 135 pounds when they took me from my mama, and no harm came to me once I was in the system. That was God. That was my mama. She was standing in the gap. She prayed me out, she prayed me through, and kept me safe. For those that don't believe that there is a God, all you got to do is get all that mess out your heart because there's levels. And you can tune in, and he'll speak to you if you call on him. But you got to first put him first. And if you put him first in your life, he'll talk to you, and he'll get you out of some mess, and he'll clear your name up in some mess, and he'll bring your peace back in some mess. I don't care what you're going through. It was God. That's the only way I can explain what done happened to me. And if, if I tell you about it, you ain't going to believe it. So you're going to have to read it and see it for yourself the documents, the courts, the photographs, the phone calls, the city officials, the police officers, the chief of police, all these people, you have to read about what they did to me because they all admitted it in the end, what they did. Because if I tell you, you ain't gonna believe it. But when I tell you about God and his mercy, when I tell you about God and what he's done for me, when I tell you about, I ain't got time to be mad because being mad wouldn't have got me out of prison. You know I could have been in prison mad at the whole world, but that wasn't going to get no petition filed in court. I could have been mad at the police because they locked me up, but that wasn't going to get my case back in court. So people ask me all the time, why are you not bitter? Why are you not mad? Because my mama wouldn't want me to be mad. Because I care about people. Because I serve a mighty God. And because I live in the greatest country on earth. Regardless of what's going on with this Trump stuff and this Biden stuff and this, all this stuff that's going on, God is still in control regardless of what's going on with this virus and how it's killing us and how they didn't put this stuff on us and we don't know what it is and they're giving us all this misinformation, God is still in control. And that's how I was able to do all them years they took from me and, and live through it right now and come out of some mess to be in some mess. is that something? I come out of some mess to be in some mess. You know, the prison system that I'm working with right now here in Illinois, um, Pontiac, David Bernard, and all me, the media, I've been in all the prisons. I got all my rights, but I've been in all the prisons. You know, they done lost 375 inmates with this COVID thing going on, and they're not telling anybody information. I have lost my brother and family members, you know. So when I say that God is still in control, he's in control. Every day for the last 60 days, I've been getting a phone call to somebody that lost somebody to to this COVID thing, but God is still in control. They got us all scared and disembodulated. We don't know what to do. The the government gave us all this false information. We don't know what this is. They taking our loved ones in the hospital. We can't see them. We don't know what this is. And now we're talking about the James Gibson story. And it's just like any other story. But the only thing about the James Gibson story today is that God is still in control. That's very,
0: very true in even my life as well there is no you know you have your parents praying for you and there's god (laughs) and when you're in a situation like that any desperate situation as well you've got to have god in your life (laughs) to get you through
1: man make no mistake make no mistake about it man um i didn't have nobody you know let me say this man so they'd be understood when i say i had nobody you know uh, I don't know if anybody's listening that has loved ones that's incarcerated or been incarcerated. You know what I'm saying? You can call your family and you can tell them, mom, dad, husband, wife, I need you to help me bond out or whatever. But that's the only thing they can do. And even when you, they do help, say they get you a lawyer or something and the lawyer charges them all this money and they put their house up and they foul all these frivolous motions, the mom and dad, the husband, the wife, they don't know what they read. Mm -hmm. so really can't nobody help you and then once you get in the system they're not going to help you so Mm -hmm. you only person you got to help you is god to give you some common sense is god to show you the way that's the only way we can listen it's it's millions of people all over the world are suffering and going through atrocities and misconducts and whatever it may be and nobody to help them. but the million the other millions of people that's calling on God, he's making a way. So I'm saying all this to say that, dear, yeah, uh-uh. my mother, she could, it was only so much she can do. And then I was all around all these criminals. Make no mistake about it. My sister is a police officer. My other sister is a law official agent, been 40 years. I believe that if you commit a crime, you should go to jail. If you break the law, you should go to jail. I believe that. But I also believe that the rights to fair trial and due process equal protection of other law. But they're not gonna tell you that. They're not gonna teach you that. They're not gonna show you that. If you are charged with a, uh, with a case and you don't know your constitutional rights, just like right now, you leave your house and get in your car. When they pull you over, if you don't got a driver's license and insurance, they can shake your car down and take you in for driving without uh, proper insurance or proper uh, uh, um, driver's license, right? And th- if you don't know, if you don't know your, the rights, then you in jail just charged with a charge. They gonna tell you your rights. We have to we have to learn our rights. So um uh, 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 that was my thing. And the only thing I had was was God and my common sense. And that was to read what, what they did to me was wrong and to present my issue to the court as many as time that, that I can possibly until I'm heard. And that's what I did. You
0: know, what do you want to see as it relates to the systemic issue of wrongful convictions in the United States. Actually, this is like a global problem. Well, Um, you know,
1: uh, uh, what I want to see is happening right now. The President uh, President Biden, uh, just in the last 24 hours, has signed the Prison Reform Act into law. And that means in the next 90 days, a decree will be going down across the nation that um, they have to rehab these prisons, they got to dismantle all private prisons, they got to bring back the parole across the United States. You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, they have to go into the resentencing stage, the juveniles, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, what I'm, what I'm pushing from here in Illinois, and, and when I address the nation, April the 8th, I'll be addressing the nation about my, my policies and my alliances and what I would like to see moving forward. You see, we have to take back the safeguard from misconduct. Because just like now, you're in, a, you're in a lawsuit when it's won or settled or whatever, the taxpayers pay that money. Do the people pay that money? The public, the, the politicians, and the, the judges, and the state's attorneys, and all them, they, they, not, they don't know none of that money come out their pockets. So I'm trying to change the law, you know what I'm saying, to, to remove that policy safeguard. Just like now, I sue the police officers, I'm suing 18 officers. They're not paying any money out their pocket, the city is. The city hired 18 lawyers to represent the officers against me. And the money is coming out their pockets and they lost. So I'm trying to change policies because I figured that when people are watching you and you got to come out your own pocket, you start acting different. So some of my policies that I'm trying to implement is like in court camera policies and in certain type of cases, I figured, and I realized that all these appeals I went through, if somebody had been watching them, I wouldn't have had to do 30 years for a case that they knew they had the wrong guy when they arrested me. It's not like I had, that I got locked up and I had to fight and prove this and prove that. When the city of Chicago arrested me, they had already knew that the guy that they arrested wasn't me, it was somebody else. They had already knew that I had not even committed a crime and they documented it and wrote communications back and forth. to just saying, we got the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. But yet still they sent me to prison for 30 years. So I'm saying now is the time for the policies to be and just like when that officer in, uh, put his foot on that guy's neck and that guy hollered, mama. You know why the whole planet went crazy? Because 80% of the planet is women. And when that boy hollered, mama, even a dog, a bear, a tiger, a lion go come to, can understand, that's my baby. So when that man hollered, mama, they killing me, the whole world, all the women, they felt that. Because they said, that could have been my son. Mm-hmm. And that could not be a son, but if you go to a grocery store right now and you hear somebody say mama, 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 you're gonna stop and look. You might not go over there and get it get involved and they'll intervene, but you're gonna stop and look because that's your instincts. So right now we got the we got the momentum in society right now to take it and put policies in place, just like with all these. Shootings are um, unarmed men, African-American as white people, too, getting shot and killed. They just don't talk about it as much because they try to make it a black thing. But it's not a black thing. But it's a bunch of unarmed civilians getting shot across the United States. We got to change the policy. You know why they can kill us and get away with it? Because the policy says that if they write in a report that they fear to, they train to get them up out of there. No matter anything else that happens, if, if the policy don't get changed, they're going to continue to do what they do. So I, beat a, I had a case um, uh, about, a, about nine months ago. And a guy down here, a police officer, he, um, he shot uh, at a kid, but he killed the neighbor on an accident. The kid came running at him with a bat. But he, but he was in the streets, and the kid come out of his house. So it went to trial. You know, They charged him, and they tried to sue, right? So I was advising the lawyers that was fighting a lawsuit, right? So I said, let me see the policy. So they showed me the policy, right? The policy said in the police training that if, if he perceives a thought in his mind of danger, he can use deadly force. That's all he got to say. That's all he got to say. I don't care if you had a if 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 if, if he had a, a, a arterial motive. Because most of them just shoot people because they're scared and people flinching and reaching or whatever. And, they, and when they come upon certain types of people in certain areas, they automatically assume that you're a criminal. So they're going to kill you and they're going to shoot you. If you make one wrong move, they're going to shoot you. But the nation don't know is that the policies is why they're able to keep shooting unarmed people, women and men of color as well. And all they got to say in the report is, I fear for my life. My policy told me my training. And that's how, you, that's how they win in these cases. And the state's attorneys across these states, when they see the policy, and they get a guy, he just shot somebody, some lady, somebody's kid, and, and, and they look at the policy, and, he, and they look at the report that he write up, because it's training to tell him what to write in there. You know what I'm saying? They're to tell them what to say on the shoot. And all he got to say is, I fear for my, my life, my policy tells me that. Boom. I don't care what, I don't care who you take it to. United Nations, uh, you can take it to the Department of Justice, that policy said that he said what? That's a justifiable shoe. So we got to take this opportunity right now and this momentum and ask our legislators and our leaders to change the policies.
0: Are there people helping you with um, like the paperwork to send out to these
1: legislators to help change these policies? Well, let me tell you something. Uh, uh, it's going to come out. I wrote um, 10,000 letters. Over the course of 30 years, I wrote 100,000 letters. But I wrote every legislator, every law official, every congress member, every senator, the United Nations, every president of the United States, every attorney general, every alderman, every uh, 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 um, um, legal institution in America. I'm James Giffen. I wrote every news and local cable channel in America. I'm James Giffen. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I do. I write letters.
0: Now, do you get any response back? Are you getting any type of response back? Well, when I,
1: in, when I was when I was in prison, I wrote 700 letters here, 10,000 letters over there. Out of out of, out of every 1,000 letters, I might get five responses. Now, since I've been out, you know what I'm saying? They all over they all over they all over my network, you know what I'm saying? All of the cable, all of the local newspapers, uh, Sun Times, Tribune, Fox, ABC, WGN, uh, all these different local stuff but uh, 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 uh i get phone calls from all over the nation as well you know what i'm saying and i, I send whatever i know i give it to them and i keep it i keep it going but yeah um, 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 uh, people know what's going on and we got to keep on letting them know what's going on
0: right because i talk to parents about you know family court issues and everyone is saying you know write to your legislator write to your senator write to your congressperson, um, you know, but there's no change yet.
1: Do you know what I'm saying? You know, you know why it's no change? I'm gonna tell you why it's no change because that's the, that's, that's the send off to the constituents, write to your legislators. write to your congress. You have to write a proposal or a bill or amendment and take to your legislators and your congressmen and your senators, and you have to tell them with your numbers, this is what we want you to implement. This is our demands. If you want our vote for this little district over here to put this little park over there, put that little stop sign over there, this is what we demand. That you put a stop sign on this corner right here. That you put some breakers, some speed bumps over here. So you know you can write letters, my son, my daughter, this and that and this and that. Most of the time when you write to the legislators, right, or your Republicans or Democrats or senators or congressmen, they don't never even get them letters they got somebody that, that go through those letters and, and then they decided that, that the person should get the letter. So you just be writing a letter. And then when you see the person and you say, Senator, uh, Congressman, I wrote you a letter. And he said, yeah, yeah, I remember. And he didn't remember nothing because he don't get it. You know I'm right. saying? So, it's just, so you as a constituents, we got to learn how to demand what it is that we want. You know what I'm saying? And that's how you get to change. And then if they don't give you what you want, you tell them, hey, man, the next time we go up for election, I'm bringing my, my organization, my non-profit or whatever, and we voting against you. Simple as that. And that's how you start making small demands and changes. You know I'm saying? Because we can, we, can, we can protest, and we can rally, and we can talk. But if we protest, and we rally, and we ain't demanding nothing and we ain't getting nothing done, after they get through cleaning up the Congress, everything else is back to business. So when you go talk to them, forget about writing a letter. When you go to them, you go to them with a bill, a petition, or amendment, and you give it to them, you file it, Certify you tell them this is our demand with a letter we want you to go to your people and get the votes to get A, Y, and Z. Or I want a swimming pool up here for the kids over here because over there they got a swimming you know what I'm saying? So you got to go and you got to demand things out of people that represent you. And stop, you know, what can we do? What can we do? Let me tell you another example. I was at the teachers' union, the teachers' union here in, Cal- in, El- in, in Illinois, they gave me a, um, a homecoming party for the torture survivors. And they was talking about plays and what we can do and stuff. And I was telling them about, you know, uh, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner Playboy magazine, uh, um, how he had helped me when I was in prison. Uh, People like, Hugh Hefner? I'm like, yeah, go to the archives and and pull that article he did about Area 3, talking about Chicago and all the Jackie Wilson cases and all that torture stuff, right? And I was telling him how he laid up here and implemented a policy from a magazine. Playboy magazine. You know what I'm saying? Talking about the situation here in Illinois. So I was doing interviews from the prison on satellite radio, and I was talking about it too. And the city of Chicago lost the bid for the Olympic bids. Go back in history and look at it. They lost the Olympic bid because we was demanding change. We demanded policy implemented. You know what I'm saying? We didn't want to talk about no more letters. We do not want to talk about no more laws or nothing. I implemented Law changed in Illinois from 735 to 725, the 775 Illinois controlled statute. Pull it up. It's called human torture. Mm-hmm. It's a new law, just like they pull you over. Can I see your license, ma'am? You up on a statute. Well, you got to have that license of up law, up law because it's a statute. I created and made a statute in Illinois by demanding law be implemented and changed with the people like yourself, on networks talking out here in the streets. So together, we implemented change. Now we got the torture center, Chicago Torture Center here in Illinois. Look it up. It's on the record. We got the Memorial Center. We got the Corinthium. They teach it in high school. The torture survivor. is just that they never had all the cases before me ever ruled that. A uh, John Burgess torture guy has been tortured, collaborating, proven. Yes, they done settled $765 million. Yes, they done hired all these lawyers to pay these settlements and trials, but they never ruled in the Penitent Court or the Supreme Court in any state that it was torture, collaborating, proven. Hmm. And so now they're trying to draw this big picture of, a, of me being this African American that's been tortured, collaborating, proven, and they don't want to talk about malicious prosecution, false imprisonment. Wrong for conviction, the wrong guy. You know what I'm saying? They just busting up torture. torture. Okay, I'm the torture guy. I was tortured, but torture don't get you out of prison. You see know what I'm saying? What gets you out of prison is when you can show that the poisonous tree was violated and that do, they, do this case in the first place. Because, see, they can beat you up all they want to. That violates your constitutional rights because they're law enforcement agents. They can't do that. You see what I'm saying? But now, once they find out that they did that, they throw that part of the evidence out. And then you go into what they call the tree. If there are any footprints, fingerprints, eyewitness, DNA, fibers, you know what I'm saying? Murder weapon. you see what I'm saying? Those are the other elements of, of, of a constitutional status to convict a person of murder. You see what I'm saying? But now they, they putting this smokescreen out, I'm an angry black man, I got out of prison on torture. No, I didn't get out of prison for torture. I got a ruling that I was tortured, collaborating, proven along with all of the other stuff that they had the wrong guy, that they had me locked up for 30 years. They knew they had to, you know what I'm saying? But torture is what highlights the, uh, the, the, the case because now it's 700 guys saying that they was tortured. And so now they got to meet a certain bar to be able to substantiate and collaborate their allegations so it's controlling jurisdiction. So they just say James Gibson, the torture guy. But it's more than just torture. And I'm not an angry Black person. And when you see my videos on YouTube or my website or the newsreel, when I said I wrote two, I wrote two, I wrote two, and I wrote two, I did. When I'm talking to ABC, WGN, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, when you see me talking to them on my reels, and they say, well, he's, he's angry. No, I'm telling my truth. I wrote you 10 letters. I wrote you. And every time you see me, I'm talking to these politicians and these senators and Dick Durbin's. All, I wrote you. And these judges and these, and these advocates, I wrote them. And I wrote them. I did. So I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just telling the truth. I wrote you. All these big lawyers that's calling me now, I wrote them. You know what I'm saying? All these newspaper people that's coming, trying to find and interview me, I wrote them. So I'm not mad. So when you see my interviews, I'm just telling you my truth. I wrote you. I lost everything, my mama dead, my son dead, my brother dead, my grandmama dead, my father dead, my uncle dead, my aunties dead, somebody else raised my kids. I've never been married, you know what I'm saying? I never had a chance to be married. I never had a chance to see my son grow up, somebody killed, you know what I'm saying? So that's not anger, I'm just telling you what they did to me, what they took from me. That makes me mad by me telling what y'all, what they did to me, that, by me telling my truth, that I wrote to the United Nations that I got letters in my box from the United Nations. That makes me mad when I told you I wrote the president of the United States. That makes me mad when I told you I wrote the U.S. attorney general. That makes me mad when I told you I wrote the governor. That makes me mad when I told you I wrote the chief judge, and they wrote me back. That makes me mad when I told you I wrote every outlet in America. That makes me mad? Because I wrote ABC News 50 letters. That makes me mad because I wrote Drew Griffin at CNN 50 letters. That makes me mad? Because I wouldn't take five deals. That makes me mad? I should be mad. Do I have a right to be mad? But being mad ain't going to get nothing done. I can be bitter. I can't get none of that back. Mm -hmm. I've never been married. Okay, I can't get that back. But being mad about it ain't going to do nothing about what the rest of my life I got to live. And so when I tell them I stood at a cell door for 30 years and y'all couldn't break me, I mean that. Because somebody was in the gap praying for me, I mean that. Because my mama died and she loved me, I mean that. I'm not mad. I just want people to know the truth and the facts about what they did. I'm not the only one that they did it to. It's just I didn't never give up. I didn't take their deals. I could have been home years ago. But my mama died, they ain't had no bargaining chip. So I wasn't going. But yet I could have came home six, seven years ago and took deals and been a convicted felon. Didn't have the rights to vote. Didn't write, let me show you. I got, I got a passport. You know what? You know how proud I am to have a passport? To actually have a passport with my name on. You know how proud that makes me feel to have oh, yes. a passport, to have my voters' right to have my right to go where I want to go and not be looked at as a criminal, a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. You know how proud I am of that? I went my passport, my concealed carry license, my my, my voters' registration. I voted in the election, I ain't voted in 30 years, and I used to be a Republican. But I voted Democrat this year, So I hope ain't nobody mad at me.
0: I'm not mad at you. No, but I'm very to- proud of you. I'm so proud of you that you did not take a plea or a deal. Do you think they scare people into taking deals and yes, pleas? Yes,
1: ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. They do. I'm a living witness. Yes, ma'am. And when you don't take it, they try to pull every unconceivable trick in the book from when you're around to placing you in, in hostile environments to putting you in danger, you know what I'm saying? Like um, I was in prison for the five last five years they had me in front of a door. And they had SARS, HM1, lesionary diseases and bacteria infections. The state was locking it down and it was all on the news. Now, we in the, now we're in COVID-19. So they do all that. They cheat, they, 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 they bribe witnesses, they try, to, they try to put evidence, they do all that. It's hundreds. It's hundreds of people locked up. I can't even imagine. I know many people that died since I've been in jail trying to bring the issue. That's what they do. But see, let me say this right. Although this is the greatest country on earth, it has no it has no empathy in certain areas. There's no compassion in certain, mm-hmm. certain areas. People are just so trifling. You know what I'm saying? Even on the smallest level, all the way across the board, and you know. That's one of the reasons why I'm not really upset too much about how the situation, the state of the country is in, because God said, until my people turn from their wicked ways, then would I hear that prayer and hear that land, it's just too much trifling, scams, con artists, murder, too much suffering, stress. People don't care about nothing or nobody in this, in the world. Not it just here, but the whole world. Mm-hmm. And now we are in a position right now that you're gonna either live or you're gonna die. And it says in the word that in the end, every knee gonna bow. I don't care who you I worked in the hospitals in Pontiac Correctional Center. I used to be an order, an orderly. And I've seen evil firsthand. And I used to pray for them. they said, get on out of here with that Jesus stuff. God don't exist, and I used to just pray for him. And i tell him, God, before it's over with, every knee gonna bow. And every guy that died in that, in my, on my shift inside them hospitals, inside prisons, they called on, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, somebody please pray for me. The ones that could, that had the state of mind know that they was going out, because when you die in of cancer and AIDS and all these other type of disease, that's still killing people that they ain't talking about no more, you're going to call on Jesus. You're going to call on somebody. And so right now, that's why we're in this mess. This, 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 that's why we're in this mess. Not just because the government, the simplest thing, wash your hands, wear a mask. It's the simplest stuff, you know what I'm saying? So that's why we're in this mess. I'm not saying that I lost my I lost three four family members since this started. You know what I'm saying? And uh 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 uh, I'm I'm isolated around a bunch of people because I've been gone so long. My immune system is you no. Know, I'm one of the pre-existing guys because I got that thyroid issue and I've been in a cave for 30 years. So my system, you know what I'm saying? I I can I can take a sip of um, uh, a wine. And I'm and I fall out. I'm drunk. You know? Because my system is so clean. I don't use drugs. I don't use alcohol. I don't drink. Beverages, you know, stuff like that. So so I have to be really careful because my my system ain't built up immune against the uh the environment that's out here now. I've been right. I've been isolated. Even with my eyes, I have to wear certain protective type of glasses because I can't take direct sunlight. You know what I mean? But yet still I'm keeping God first.
0: Let me ask you this. Um, I read a disturbing article where the United States is building more prisons than any other um, country around the world.
1: Mm-hmm. They, they were. They were. And that's true. And I just said earlier, uh, President Biden just signed an executive order the last 24 hours shutting it down and finished dismantle all that. And, and all that privacy, that we, they were building all these prisons because what was happening is the legislators, the congressmen, the senators, the state city councilmen, they was all buying it to the stock. And they was they was funding this money. Even go all the way back to the bushes where they where they had all these prisons, they was the ones feeding them with the coffee, the toothpaste, the deodorant, the soap. You know what I'm saying? There's big money in that. And now mm-hmm. Biden just put that order down yesterday, shutting it down. All those private prisons that you, that you was talking about and all that you were talking about, they shutting it down. The president just signed it in, into law 24 hours ago. You're absolutely right. They were. And they did. And he shutting it down.
0: Now, I don't want to sound stupid, but does that mean a prisoner doesn't have to go to the commissary to buy, say, conditioner or hair conditioner or soap or headband
1: or whatever? You have to go to the commissary and buy everything if you're in jail. Mm-hmm. Your soap, your deodorant, your toothpaste. If you don't buy it, you don't get it. Now, once a week in some prisons, they might pass you out a small bar of steak soap, but a small tube or toothpaste, but you can use it one time. But if, if a prisoner don't have any family support outlet, he has nothing coming. And by being in the COVID state across the whole country, it's really bad for them because only certain people are working and they steady dying because they coming in contact with, um, with the, the staff members because they got to work and feed their families too because they know visitors allowed inside prison. So, yeah, the prison has to buy everything. And so most of the time, a prisoner just sit there and he suffer and he just, he dies. And they, they don't talk none about that. They commit suicide. They don't talk nothing about that. They go and start taking psychotropic medication because psychotropic medication is the biggest dope game in the world. Even on the street, uh, uh, law-abiding citizens popping pills and psychotropic medication. But in prison, it's a big big industry on psychotropic medication because now you can medicate half the population, and they drunk for 10 years. And you got time limits to file your motions to get back in court. And if you don't meet them 30 days, 90 days, 60 days, you're forever stuck. So a lot of guys who come into the system, they ain't getting out because they don't, they don't, they don't understand the business, so to speak. This is big business. All the prisons you talking about, they build it. This is big business for these urban, tucked off towns away, for the people to have jobs. This is big business. Crime and punishment, just like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's big business. But people don't talk about that until it affects one of their own. Then, oh, Joey got locked up. Michael went to jail. Mary did. Oh, they raising the taxes. Oh, they did this. I can't afford this. It's big business. But don't nobody talk about it until it affects them. And that's what we got to stop doing out here. We got to stop talking. Just like I told you about my, uh, 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 my Facebook, my DM line. You know what I'm saying? I, I look through the thread and I read uh, interesting topics that people post. And if they ain't posting what I'm, what I'm interested in and what I'm trying to push my policy and do, I don't even go into all that. We got to, I'm talking to people like you and how I'm talking to you because we got to talk to the people. We got to tell them this is the time. We got to bring this pain to them and this knowledge. That's the, that's the pain right there, the knowledge. Give them this knowledge because it's going to be painful and then we got to make a change. But if you don't know about it, we can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we can't make it. We can't make a difference. We can't make a change. We can't get better. I, I also think like
0: when people get judges orders in the mail, they just get scared to even open up the envelope. That's true. And they're also afraid to even go to the mailbox. I mean, I used to have to call a friend and walk me to the mailbox just so I could open up and see what was in there. And I think people, when they open up the judge's orders, they don't even understand how they're written.
1: Mm-hmm. That's because, you know what they call that? Handicapped to law. Handicapped to the criminal science of law. But mm-hmm. the same token, you know, the law, the law says ignorance to the law is no excuse. So yeah, a lot of people are scared. And you know what I'm saying? It's just like now. And they should be, because we don't know. And it's just like right now, we're sitting in our homes. We're scared. We don't, know what, we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what they're going to tell us next. All this misinformation, yeah. So we're scared to open up the, the mail. We're scared to turn on the TV. We're scared to go to the mailbox. We're scared to go outside because we don't know what's going on. We're scared because they're giving us all this misinformation. And then when we read these court orders or whatever it may be from a judge, we still don't know what's going on because we don't understand the language. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's good to educate
0: yourself, and which I had to do as well, and overcome the fear of opening up the envelope and going to the mailbox. And, um, you know, do you think when the COVID is over with, I hope at some point, do you think you'll go into high schools and talk to the younger people and educate them?
1: Yes, yes, I'm already slated to do that into the high schools, I'm working with the colleges. So I'm 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 doing that now, and I'm going into the you know the the different places. I've been to different places on the Zoom. The Zoom is the new thing, you know what I'm saying. So like I'm saying, I'm doing that now. I'm talking to the people, you know. And plus, my case is a part of the Corinthian. They have they 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 have to learn it in order to graduate. I think in first, uh, uh, freshman year, and I'm not quite sure which year, but they have to take the history of the case. And pass the government as well in order to graduate out of high school here in Illinois. I see
0: I think I think I've heard my kids say that there is a government class in their high school, but I don't know what they're really learning in there.
1: Mhm-, yeah well, and in, in Illinois, there's, there's a government class in every every state across America, there's a government class because you've got to know the constitution of the amendments in order to be a citizen of the United States. You know what I'm saying? You have to pass that in order to graduate of high school. That's why Trump was able to do that ducker, that DACA, whatever that program you're doing, because most people that come over here they don't know their constitutional rights, they don't know the amendment, they don't know the pledge of allegiance, so they saying they immigrants. But when you, if you're a citizen and you go through the public school system or a private school, you must pass government in order to be certified finishing your high school, you know, years. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's part of the Constitution. But in Illinois, they added a new Corinthian in it saying that this, this, this act here up under the Illinois control statute must be taught to the children in high school before they complete high school. So they made that part of the statute here in Illinois. It does not apply all across the country. It only applies here mm-hmm. in Illinois. Now, yeah, the, sure. just like the reprimands, you know, like African-Americans been talking about, we were slaves, y'all owe us reprimands, and wah, 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 right? In Illinois, they made reprimands to the torture victims only, you know what I'm saying? And now everybody talking about, yeah, they made reprimands in Illinois, they should make reprimands all across the nation. I never accepted the reprimands when they offered them to me, but uh, 54 other guys did, but they made it part of the, the, the statue here in Illinois.
0: Hmm. Well, I think this should be taught, you know, the constitution in these high schools throughout the whole nation.
1: Um, and that's what, that's what, that's what um, the team that I'm putting together now, and that's why I'm doing this story now, and I'm going on a media blitz in the next week or so, and i am be dropping up uh, my media package in March, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's, what I'm, that's what I'm doing, I'm in that position now. If we weren't in the virus, I'll be across the, in the Moth, mm-hmm. you know the Moth Project? Have you ever heard of the Moth Project out there in Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania? I have not. MOF is, is M O T H. It's an organization that takes exonerees and they take you across the, the nation and you speak and you teach across the land. But the COVID, the COVID mm-hmm. got to stop. The Exoneration uh, Project, uh, every, every, every four months, we go across the different states and we talk to the state's representatives, the legislators, the, the college people, the state's attorney, the governors, the senator. They have what they call an exoneration uh, event. You know what I'm saying? Like last year it was supposed to be in at the McCormick place. And then this year it's supposed to be down in Atlanta and you know what I'm saying? But it, it but the COVID got it all shut down. So what we're doing now with my story is, like I said, I'm selling the decals and I'm getting, and I'm trying to push decals out because it's a series to decal to take you to the links to keep you posted on what my next event going to be. And when I'm dropping my media package, my website, the newsreels, stories, archives and stuff like that. And so that's what I do. I push the decals out there. Series one, then then my books gonna be series two. Then my the other thing gonna be series three. I got a bunch of series, so I'm dropping the decals first. And so that's how I'm getting my story out there until April the eighth, when I address the nation.
0: Now, do you probably you probably have a lot of people at you wanting to talk, but I was going to ask you, um, is there any way people can reach you for advice that um, you would like me to add? To the podcast, well, sure,
1: sure, sure. Um, um, as you know, I had I opened up a company, um, it's called James Grant Publishing. It's um, the address is 55 East Monroe Street, Suite 3800, Chicago, Illinois, 60603. And that's um, uh, um, I'm, that's what my mailing address as well as um, advice now, as far as on my Facebook page and my DM. If guy, if people come into my DM and they and they ask me questions about my decals, or they ask me questions about legal advice or or, or counsel stuff, then I then I answer those real quick and I get up out of that. My my uh, my website, I am James Gibson. That's like an archive of all of my videos, press conference release stories about my life, what I'm doing next, my photo shoots, my book stuff, uh, my uh my uh media packets. My team is still chopping it up because I just got through filming uh, for like eight hours and now they made it into a media package. I'm gonna be dropping that in the next week and people are gonna be hearing about me all across the country as well. But my decals, if they would like to purchase my decals, what I do with the decals is this. I personally uh, mail all decals, it's every order that come in, I personally mail all decals and send a personal information. And the decals cost $5 a piece. Now, uh, a lot of people have different outlets. I have a PayPal, me slash Jay Gibson 1966. I, uh, I, have, I have the Cash app through Chase account. If they got my contact information or the Apple, they can just call my number with their address and request a decal. And then I, I get the link. I go in the link and I mail it out as soon as I mail it out. And then I contact them back and ask them did they get it? And they let me know they got it. So that concludes that business on that. Far as my I have a what they call a cash app. I got a cash app link, and uh, um those are some of the ways that they can get in contact with me. If they mail any information to my publishing company on Monroe Street downtown, then I pick up the mail once a week, and I pick up the mails and then I answer all those letters. I don't have anybody helping me answer or make these decals. These just something I came up with, and I try to take control of my own brand. I'm putting together, I got a team of lawyers and business lawyers and entertainers and publishers and all that stuff, but they do what they do on, on film, all the rest of the stuff. I'm doing it myself. I'm just, you know, trying to not be out there begging.
0: That's excellent. That is excellent. Is there anything you would like to add
1: or uh, educate us on before we part? Well, I would like to, I would like to add uh, um, that, um, we can change, man. We gon' we can change if we want to, man. As a people, you know what I'm saying, uh, um, and we can make a difference as a people because there's power in numbers. Together, we stand strong. It doesn't make a difference if you are black or white. United, we stand strong, man. If we put God first, and and, and, and now is the time, man. And we tired, and we tired of uh, hearing these type of stories, and we tired of seeing all this suffering, and we tired of paying off all this money because they got to pay. You know, right now, you know what I'm saying, I, I'm, I'm struggling, you know what I'm saying, and, and I'm trying to survive and stuff. But in the end, they got to pay. Mm-hmm. Because you just don't take nobody's life for 30 years and don't and don't pay them. So they got to pay, and they're gonna pay big. It's gonna And, and, and it's gonna be the biggest payout in, in the history of the country. It's coming. So right now, I'm just staying humble, you know what I'm saying, and, and I'm staying prayed up. And I'm trying to, you know, uh, um, um, get my story out and I sell decals, that's what I do. I write books. I, like I said, I own a publishing company, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I own a clothing company, but I can't, you know, really put those out there because of the COVID. So right now I'm just in my, in my office in my own home, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I talk to as many as people. That's all I do is talk to people and help people check me out. I am the truth, man. Everything I said I do, I do. Everything I say I'm going to do, I'm going to do. You know what I'm saying? Ain't no scams. Ain't no none of that. I'm the truth. I'm the real guy. I am James Giffen.
0: And people can also look you up on YouTube. Just type in James Gibson. Or they
1: can Google me. Google you as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the hottest case in the country. So you can Google me. Anybody else say they James Gibson, then you would know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people be asking me in my DM, are you James Gibson? You know, because people have been ordering decals, and they've been sending me um, cash apps and, and, and PayPals and stuff. And they send it, and they would, you know, they kind of lury, because you know, People, you know, people scamming people and stuff. So when they when they send me requests in, I get right on top of it and I send their stuff right out. I keep me plenty of staff, envelopes, I send it right out with a personal letter, then I go back in a DM and let them know that it's coming and then they let me know when they get it because people need to be reassured or right. they're trying to, you know what I'm saying, study some games or somebody just trying to con somebody out of something. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah, I sell my decals, I sign them, I send a personal letter, and that's how I'm able to support myself until I wrap up the biggest seat, the biggest suit in this country. And I will pray you win. I'm going to win. I already won. They can't win. I'm, <laughs> I'm free. I'm clear. They, they can't, they ain't no, it ain't about winning or losing no more. That part mm-hmm. over with. I've, I've been cleared of all ties, for the innocence, the zonery. That part of the suits, all that stuff is over. It's all about how much it is that I want to take.
0: Well, I'm, very honored to have you on. I'd like to have you come back on again maybe in a couple months and see how you're doing.
1: And I appreciate that. I'm here, you know what I'm saying, and you can, anytime you want to talk, you can, you know what I'm saying, I, that's what I do. This okay. is what I do. Uh, this is what I do, Mary Ann. This is what I do. I talk, and uh, I try to help people, man, and anybody that know me or go in any prison, they're going to tell you the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm consistent. I do what I do. I put God first, and then if I can help somebody, that's what I do.
0: Excellent. Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in family courtrooms and in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, um, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption and Cry Out for Justice. And we will have James on again in time. So thank you so much.
1: And thank you, too. You be safe, all right?
0: You, too. Thank you.
1: All right.